All right, there's a new uh, documentary out on Netflix. Uh, I don't know if you've, reckon, if you've seen it. <clears throat> it's about the former uh, Heisman Trophy winner, Johnny Football, Johnny Manziel from a and It's about his rise and his dissension and how things basically fell apart for him. In this film, he candidly says, when I got everything I wanted, I think I was the most empty I ever felt inside. And then later he powerfully says, was enough ever enough? Was enough ever enough? And David Zoll, as we read earlier in the book, Seculosity, the, the quote connects with that, doesn't it? Where he writes, listen carefully and you'll hear that word enough everywhere. Especially when it comes to the anxiety, loneliness, exhaustion, and division that plague our moment to such tragic proportions. You hear about the people scrambling to be successful enough, happy enough, thin enough, wealthy enough, influential enough, desired enough, charitable enough, woke enough, good enough. We believe instinctively uh, that were we to reach some benchmark in our minds, then value, vindication, and love would be ours. That if we got enough, we would be enough. Our passage and parable this morning in Luke 12 is about our pursuit for a life where we can say, enough, enough. It's about our pursuit to obtain what we think is the good life. This parable is basically meant to confront us with what we think life is really all about, how we live and what life is all about. What would you need to obtain and be promised in this life for you to be able to say, enough? Now I can relax. Enough. Now I can have peace. What would unlock that security and contentment in your heart? Is it a number in your bank account? Is it a known future for your family or for your kids? Is it securing a relationship that you long for but you don't have? Is it, a, is it a certain level of success or recognition in your career? Maybe a title you could get in your career. Is it achieving happiness or a life that is, has very little, if any, suffering at all? Is it being able to retire finally and not work anymore so now you can live the life you've always wanted to live? You can go travel and experience the world. You may not even be aware that your life is being directed by how you answer and fill in the question, what are you looking for to be enough? Every human being is made to live with a purpose in mind, made to seek a sense of enough. The question is, what is your purpose? Does your purpose line up with what God's purpose is for your life? Do you think about God's purpose for your life much? Is God included as you set goals, you seek to achieve, and you seek to attain what you deem to be the good life? Is God at the center of your enough? All right, if you can and are able, please stand for the reading of God's word. We're going to be in Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through tw uh, 21. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? And he said to them, 
Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So this is the one who so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. This is the word of the Lord. All right, you can take your seat. Father, we pray that you would speak powerfully through your word this morning. That your spirit would move and work and change, transform our hearts. That you would show us the reality and the security and contentment we have in you. But yet you would also show us the emptiness in the areas and places that we look for it. Pray that you would mold us according to your message, according to your word. The power is not in our ability to hear, but your ability to change us from what we hear. And so we pray that you would give us ears to hear, give us eyes to see. So in Jesus' name we pray, amen. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> Initially, it seems uh, like this man's question about his inheritance is out of the blue, Right? I mean, the context that this comes in, the immediate context, Jesus' teaching is actually not about money. It's about discipleship and the cost of discipleship. But so much of Jesus' teaching in the Gospels and his ministry is actually about money. So it's not as out of the context and out of the blue as it might seem. Jesus talks about money more than any other subject, especially in the Gospel of Luke. In all 39 parables, 11 of them are directly about money and our relationship to it. To be completely honest, I try to stay away from talking about money uh, because of how churches and pastors have misled and manipulated people on the subject. This topic comes with a lot of baggage, uh, the topic of money. So it's something I, I don't like to speak about very often. And to be honest, it's probably sinful how much I avoid trying to talk about money with how much Jesus talks about, how hesitant I am to address money sometimes because of what comes with it, uh, because of how the church has hurt and done a poor job in teaching about that. But Jesus not only doesn't hesitate, but he seems to major on this topic. He's like, it makes you uncomfortable, let me lean in. <laughs> uh, but Why? Why is this such an important topic and so much a part of Jesus' ministry? I think the answer for us comes in the reason why Jesus has to say what he says at the end of verse 15, where he says, one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. See, Jesus has to say this because money so easily, so quickly, and sometimes so convincingly gives us a false sense of security, a false sense of life, of control, of, sup of superiority, 
Money has a way of uh, supplanting our awareness of our need of God because we think we're in control. We may not say this because we know better, but money is so often what drives most of our decisions, isn't it? And what we think life is all about and how we functionally live. Money can be what causes us to move from one place to another, one city, one state to another. Money can be what causes stress and anxiety in our lives in such a way where we don't sleep at night because we're worrying about money. Money is often a uh, cause in, to fight in marriages. It's a tension in marriages. It can break up marriages. Money is what causes us often to lie, to be unloving and stingy towards others. It can cause us to feel superior or inferior to others. And what cause, it, money can be also what causes us to covet, right? As verse 15 says, when we want what others seem to have, usually it's around money, or more specifically, what money can provide. Coveting and greed are one and the same sin, and they are unbelievably dangerous sins. The Bible talks about greed ten times more than it references any other sexual sin. Right? It talks about greed ten times more because of the danger it is. And yet, it's a sin that most people don't think they struggle with. I don't hear many people confessing their struggle with greed. See, unlike adultery, greed can be very difficult to identify in oneself. We're good at justifying and our greedy desires and longings, often comparing ourselves to others in order to convince ourselves that we're not greedy by thinking we're not as greedy as them, right? However, we think that we are really good at identifying greed in other people, meaning we look past the plank of greed in our eye to call out the speck of greed in another's. If you haven't been doing so already, it'll be difficult for you to not think about someone else during this sermon. It's hard to keep the mirror of God's word centered on your heart rather than divert it to someone else in your life. The root of greed and coveting, do you know what it is? It's what we've always been talking about most of the service. It's the longing to be enough. The root of greed and coveting is a longing to be enough. It can happen. Greed and coveting can happen whether you have a lot or if you have nothing. This man in our story comes to Jesus because he thinks his brother is not dividing their inheritance fairly, rightly. Therefore, what's happening is you have one guy who seems to want to keep everything he has and not share anything. And you have another guy who wanted to take everything he can that he doesn't have yet. One had and the other had not, but both are driven by greed. Greediness and covetousness rises in the heart of those who have and those who have not. It does not discriminate. The sin, this sin affects everyone, which is why Jesus goes from addressing the man in verse 14 Did you notice the switch in verse 15 to addressing, warning them, everyone, in verse 15? He takes the issue that this man brings and he turns it to everyone because it's an issue that affects everyone. 
Notice that the greed in this man's heart does not cause him to stay away from Jesus. It's an interesting sin in that way that it doesn't cause us to stay away from Jesus. It doesn't cause us to to distance ourselves from him. This man's longing to get what he does not have and thinks he needs actually drives him towards Jesus, not away, but for all the wrong reasons. See, the man approaches and seeks Jesus' help, which on the surface is a good thing, but he's doing so not to get Jesus. He's doing so to get from Jesus what he really wants. I think a lot of us, pursue and relate to Jesus this way, that we are driven by our longing to get and be enough. And so what we do is we try to use God, we try to use Jesus to get what we think will produce those things. And this is why messages uh, like the prosperity gospel or other more subtle versions of, those th- of that message are so attractive to us. Those messages that say, if you, even if you spiritualize it, if you just believe enough, right, the mustard, you, you can put a tree into the ocean. If you just believe enough, if you just have enough faith, if you just give enough money, if you just obey God enough, if you just pray enough, if you just order your life according to the Bible rightly enough, if you just raise your kids as they are meant to be raised in the church enough, If you just read your Bible enough, if you just work hard enough, if you are just a good enough person, right? And the negative works as well, doesn't it? The message that you are lacking, that you are suffering, that you are not experiencing the blessing that you long for because you haven't done enough. Where have you tried to use God to get what you think would make life enough what do you seek God to give you the most when have you been most angry at God what are your prayers mostly about when have you demanded that he give you something that he doesn't seem to be giving you that he seems to be withholding or when have you accused him of disrupting your good life your good intentions by allowing something to happen to you listen we all do this We all do this. We all seek to use God and try to get what we really want. And it's usually a really good, even a spiritual thing. But the reason, the purpose, the drive is the same. No matter how good or spiritual the thing is, we're seeking to use God to get what we really want. What the parable shows us is that enough is never enough unless... We are seeking God himself. Did you notice the opening of the parable, how it describes the man who owned the land in the parable? It says the land of a rich man. This is not a rags to riches story. It's a rich get richer kind of story. This rich man did not think he had enough despite already being rich. He believed that he needed more in order to relax or have peace to live the good life. And yet, just when he thinks he has enough, our text says, this night your soul is required of you, meaning this night you pass away. This night your life ends. 
Everything that this man sought and lived for, he obtained. He actually got it. He got everything he wanted. And even though he eventually got what he thought he needed, it was not enough because this night he died. Now, I want to be clear. The the man in the parable is not at fault because he was rich. He was not at fault because he was successful. He did not lie or deceive in the parable to get his wealth. He didn't seem to be a harsh land manager. There's nothing about him that seems to be wrong or sinful in what he has. This man, as Jesus says, was a fool because he thought life was about getting and being enough in and of himself. That he could obtain it, that he could get it. He thought life was about him about him getting enough so that he could rest and being enough for himself. And did you notice how many times he uses the word I or my in verses 17 through 19? In those three verses, he uses those pronouns 11 times. Look at it, verse 17. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. He was not able to see beyond himself and his pursuit for enough. He never saw his need beyond what this world can offer. He was so consumed with his situation and his desires that he couldn't see outside of what he was experiencing, of what he was going through, what he was after and driven for. You see, the DNA of greed is really the DNA of sin. It's self. It's being obsessed with yourself. Greed and sin doesn't just make you a consumer but it makes you consumed with you. That's why Jesus tells this parable. The man is seeking to use Jesus to give him a life he wants, even demanding Jesus, tell my brother. See, he thinks his issue is about someone else and not about his own heart. But our call is not to ask God to give us the life that we want. Our call is, is to offer our lives up to him to use as he wants. Do you see the difference? Our call is not to ask God to give us the life that we want, but to offer our lives up to him to use as he wants. Our call and purpose in life is not to pursue our plan for our lives, but to submit and pursue God's plan for our lives. Being rich is worth nothing. If you are bankrupt towards God and his eternal kingdom, that's what verse 21 tells us. Being rich is worth nothing if you are bankrupt towards God. Because all it takes is this night, your soul will be required of you. To seek security, peace, and enoughness is not bad. It's actually human. You were made with those longings in your soul, and even if you tried to stop, you couldn't stop pursuing and seeking being enough, those things. But they cannot be, that feeling, that enoughness, that security cannot be found in this life. 
in this world, in what you do and what you achieve, or how well your life goes according to plan. Because it will never be enough to satisfy the eternal longing of your soul. So here's the question. How do we guard and protect against all covetousness and greed as verse 15 calls us to? How do we become rich towards God? Answer, according to our text, is first by realizing that you are bankrupt in and of yourself. That you are bankrupt in and of yourself. The start of becoming rich towards God is by confessing that your heart is bankrupt before him. That there's nothing you can bring and offer. Confess the reality that you and I both seek life outside of him. That you and I even try to use him to get what our heart really wants. More than him. Apart from him. The way that we start to become rich towards God is by confessing that we are not enough. That's not an attractive message in our culture, right? It's the message of the Bible. You and I, we are not enough. We can't do enough. We can't succeed enough. We can't obey enough. We can't obtain enough. We aren't enough. In other words, you re- the first thing that we must do is release or let go of your trust in yourself or in anything in this world to be enough because you know that this night your soul might be required of you. But in doing that, what you're also doing is exchanging trust from yourself. And then you exchange it to the one who is enough. The one who is enough for you. See, you become rich towards God by trusting in the one who we're told was rich, and yet for our sake, he became poor. Why? So that you, by his poverty, might become rich. You see, you are not enough, but Jesus is. You are not enough, but you get enough by knowing that Jesus is enough for you. In him, you are secure. In him, you are enough. In him, you are eternally rich towards God. In him, you can say to your soul, soul, you have enough. Relax. Eat. Drink. Be merry. When this night comes, and it will, when our soul is required of us, you can have peace and assurance Knowing he's enough for you then. The night your soul's required of you, he's enough for you then too. It's why, it's why Paul can say, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. This night is gain. Death and judgment are not enough to take away your riches before God. Because our Savior, who was rich, became poor, enduring the death and judgment that we deserve. When this becomes real to your heart, you'll be able to say as Paul does. You'll be able to struggle the way Paul does later in that same book in Philippians. When he says, I have learned, in whatever situation I am in, to be content. 
He goes on, in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Whatever I have, wherever I am, I can make it through anything in the one Jesus who makes me who I am because he's enough for me. I can be content in all circumstances. But we need to be careful here. We need to be careful to not misapply the good news of the gospel. This confident peace does not come, is not, not become real to you by you trying really hard to make God the center of your life. That's our call. Our call is to give up our life for him, to, for him to be the center of our life. But that's not how this becomes real to you, is by trying really hard to do that. This happens, it becomes real to you when we understand and believe that it was Jesus who put us at the center of his life. Everything he did, everything he didn't do, everything he endured, every temptation he didn't give into, every bit of suffering, every bit of agony that he endured on the cross from his father was for you was because you are at the center of his life. In Hebrews 12, 2, it says that Jesus, who is the founder and perfecter of our faith, considered the shame and misery of what he had to go through little. He considered it little compared to what? Compared to the joy that was set before him. You know what the joy was? That he would get you and me. That joy that allowed him to consider what he had to endure as little, is that he would get you and me. And it's the real you and me. It's the raw you and me. It's not a future version of you. It's the you right now with everything that comes with that. The good news this morning is that you are not enough. But he is. You do not put him in the center of your life, but you can rest, can relax, knowing that he has put you in the center of his. My prayer for us this morning is that the Spirit of God would awaken us right now to the riches that we have towards God, because the one who was rich became poor and is by his poverty that we have rich eternally towards God. And so... Enough. He's enough. Amen.